Welcome to Northern Nevada Green Living Podcast, where we support your quest for a happier, healthier, planet-friendly life that supports you, your family, and community. We share local information, resources, and support, and opportunities to volunteer for projects that help clean, protect, and repair the environment. Hello, everyone. I'm your host, Jenny Nichols. Before we start, I want to say that this show is for people that are striving to live greener and for each of us that may look different. And this show is inclusionary of all the ways that we can work individually and collectively to lessen our footprint and strive to take greater care of our shared planet. A quick note, this show is for sharing. So if you have helpful information for eco-friendly living and green things in town or events, then please call 929-GO-GREEN and leave us an audio message. You can also share your events on gogreenlocally.org, Northern Nevada Hub. It's free to log in and add an event, and we will mention it in a future episode. So on today's episode, we're going to be hearing from Gwen Bourne with Gwendolyn's Flowers, who has been raising her flowers without the use of any pesticides and herbicides on her 115th of an acre. And she shares some things that this does for the environment and for our pollinators. So what are some of the reasons that we should all consider growing flowers or maybe more flowers in our garden? So I think for the joy of flowers, they bring um, a beautiful visual to our lives. They help get us outside. Any kind of gardening where you're digging in the earth, it's great for your physical health, for your mental health, and growing flowers to be able to see in the garden, to bring inside, to share. But then there's also the environmental piece. If you can grow flowers to provide little ribbons of habitat and nourishment for our bees, the butterflies, the birds, the bugs, it just helps us all, improves the world we live in. Excellent. And so um, I know we spoke um, at another time about a habitat that was built that you were a part of a project. Could you tell us a little bit about that? Galena Creek Visitor Center is a partnership with Great Basin Institute and the U.S. Forest Service in Washoe County. It's up on Mount Rose Highway, about six miles out of Reno. And there um, is a beautiful an educational pollinator garden up there that includes the largest pollinator hotel. We call it the Bee Hotel, six foot by nine foot in Nevada. Main volunteer, Emma Wynn, very knowledgeable about what grows locally, about native plants, and how to support our pollinator populations from all seasons, through all seasons. Do you recommend um, having maybe a little habitat like that in our yard? I do. I started out with a native section with penstemon, milkweed to start with, and then supplemented it with things that are not necessarily native, but that do well here and that the pollinators love. Nice. So do you see butterflies in your garden? I do. So exciting to see all the different types of butterflies and see what they gravitate towards. So um, have you seen an improvement with maybe less pests for your maybe vegetables or fruit trees? You know, the my vegetables, which are limited, because I focus on the flowers and my fruit trees just do great. I don't have any issues with my cherry and with the peach tree or the plum tree at all. Um, Apple tree is another story, but uh, I keep working on it. So do you have um, suggestions for certain types of flowers that would do particularly well in our climate? 
So I grow something like 75 different varieties. And what I love, partly because, so I'll start with the ones that are year-round green, which is really great in our gardens. Lavender, rosemary are fantastic, and our local bees just love them so much. Yarrow, snapdragons are green year-round. Everlasting, which is a sedum, is wonderful. Oregano, there's varieties of oregano that are green year-round that grow tall. They're great in flower arrangements, and they're great to smell. And then, you know, all the shrubs that are flowering shrubs, the lilac does great here. Snowball is fantastic. Honeysuckle, wisteria. So I'd start with that, but that's only the bare start. I mean, then you get into salvia, scabiosa, strawberries, or sea holly grows here. Bells of Ireland, bachelor button. And then there's the love plants. There's the love in a pod, love in a mist, love lies bleeding. Those guys are all fun and great to have in the garden. So do you have any suggestions on how to feed and care for them? Soil soil, soil. You know, like real estate is location, location, location. They've got to get their nourishment. And so instead of raking up stuff and throwing it away, garbage truck comes by, rake up those leaves and use them as mulch. Washoe County gives away wood chips and there's wood chips provider here. I would just avoid the pine trees because the pine needles are not that great for the garden. But the wood chips, rake up those leaves, put them in there, rake up your grass cuttings or leave them in the grass. Use some manure, get some manure from wherever you can and put it in there. Um, And if you till the soil, the less you till it, the better. You don't want to dig up a whole garden bed every year. You want to leave it as much as possible and nourish those worms that are in there digesting and eating and helping break down the soil. So continuing to build the soil, I think, is is um, the best thing for your plants. Excellent. So how much, how, how often do you like to water? So I think the ideal is drip system. I'm in a compromised point at this point because I've got so many raised beds and pots that I'm using the overhead. I I use the sprinkler system and my fingernails are not in great shape because uh, you just push your finger down in the soil and see what it's like. It's too dry. You know, you're going to need more water. You get to know your plants. You keep an eye on them. You can tell when they start to look distressed. Look at the very little ends of them. The ends are doing well. You're doing well. They're the first thing that might be reflecting if you've got some kind of problem. And do you like to grow more perennials or annuals? I love perennials and annuals both. I think annuals are fun when you can grow them from seedlings because you get to have that joy of growing these little things. Perennials, I would have to say, is the bulk of what I do because they become part of your local environment and uh, they can be green all winter round. They tend to be larger. I like the mix, but I guess I would lean towards perennials. And so do you have any events that you know about or that you'd like to share that are coming up in our area? So the farmer's market, California market is opening again. Our local year-round market is delaying till October, but the California street market is opening, I believe, on June 6th. Nice. And if um, people want to contact you to purchase flowers or have questions for you, how should they contact you? So the website is gwendolensgardens.com and Instagram by the same name. And then my phone number is 775-750-7101. Now on to some green events coming up in June and July. And here's Samantha with BlackRock Refill. 
Hello, Jenny and the Northern Nevada Green Living podcast listeners. My name is Samantha, and I am the founder of Black Rock Refill. We help you reduce your household waste, and we are inviting you to join our virtual event going on right now. Myself, as well as Ali with Strange Bikinis, are hosting a free virtual screening of the documentary Story of Plastic. This event will showcase the ugly truth behind the global plastic pollution crisis while flattening the curve. The screening will be available now until Sunday, June 14th. On the 14th, we are also planning a Zoom discussion to our viewers to learn more about how to reduce your household waste, local resources to help you get started, and how to get more involved in your community to fight plastic pollution. The link to the screening will only be emailed to those who register at www.blackrockrefill.com forward slash get dash involved. This event is the perfect way to think globally and act locally. I hope to see you all there. Thank you for your time and take care. Thanks, Samantha. I'm looking forward to that event. And now we're going to be hearing from Sam with the Galena Creek Visitor Center. Galena Creek Visitor Center will be holding a series of online events through our website and social media for National Pollinator Week, which is June 22nd through June 28th, 2020. Check out our Instagram at Galena Creek, our Facebook page, Galena Creek Visitor Center, or our website, galenacreekvisitorcenter.org, to learn about unique pollinators, wildflowers, kids' activities, and tips for starting a pollinator garden. That's what's coming up at Galena Creek Visitor Center. Hope to see you there. Thank you, Sam. And now a few more events from Go Green Locally event page. Nevada Plants and Pollinators Talk and Discussion will be July 8th, virtual event hosted by Northern Nevada Permaculture Group, and KTMB's Litter Index Survey July 16th, and the Reno Garlic Festival July 25th. One more quick note for those of you who might still want to buy some seedlings for your garden. There is one more day of a seedling sale, Thursday, June 11th, 9 a.m. to 2 p.m. going on at Park Farm on Mayberry Drive. And also know that there was some more at the Great Basin Co-op and Whole Foods. Today I'm speaking with Luke and Shannon from Blustery Bovine in Washoe Valley. They're going to be sharing with us a little bit about what regenerative agriculture is and why we would want to consider this if we're farming or if we're trying to support local sustainable food options. So welcome, Luke and Shannon. Hi, Jenny. Thanks for having us. Thanks. So how long have you been farming? So we started this operation about five years ago when we bought this property out in Washoe Valley. And um, that first year is when we got our first cows. And we just started on this five acres that were that is our property, um, grazing that first. And then we kind of expanded out from that. Before that, when we first moved to the Reno area, I was in college still, and uh, I started working for the UNR Ag Experiment Station there in Reno. And so I'd been working in the Reno area, um, farming and ranching there. So if you could briefly explain what sustainable agriculture is in reference to raising animals. Well, I think that um, sustainable agriculture is really trying to find a production system that keeps the farmers on the land, really. So we want to be building up the system and not tearing it down, so to speak. So it's really finding um, different production models that help to improve the land and improve the soil 
make it more healthy, make it more fertile. And so that we can use that abundance that's being generated to produce the, the crops or the livestock that we're producing and really trying to find ways that are um, raising animals in such a way that we don't need a lot of outside inputs to keep that system going. Because it, when we rely on those outside inputs, the prices of them fluctuate or um, and it, it's really hard to plan your system around that sort of stuff. So I bet. So what are maybe some misconceptions that people might have about raising cattle sustainably? I was actually um, in the checkout line at Whole Foods a few weeks ago, and the person in front of me bought um, a bunch of the uh, Impossible Burgers. And um, so I, after they left, I, I asked the cashier like like what he thought about them and stuff, and he was like, he's like, yeah, I mean they don't taste as good, but um, I mean, cows, they're like with all the, the gases, like they're clearly going to be ruining the earth if we continue eating beef. So I think it's a good thing. I was like, okay, okay. I'll just like let it go. Um, but yeah, I think a lot of people think that they are going to be ruining the earth. They certainly can depending on how they're being raised. Yeah, I think that's a big thing. And I think it's important to remember, though, too, that grazing animals have always been a part of the system. And deer here in the uh, in North America, but like in Africa, there's all sorts of grazing animals there, antelope, buffalo, and, and elephants and whatnot. And so really, I think it's, they, they have to be part of the system in order for the system to work properly. And so really, as producers, we're just trying to make it as close to that model as possible so that it's not having a negative impact on the environment. Uh, but really, we want to make a positive impact on the environment. And that's really what regenerative regenerative agriculture is all about, is trying to, to have that positive impact on um, the land that we are managing. So I've been told that sometimes there's a maybe a deceptive practice in terms of buying meat that says it's raised uh, grass-fed and maybe it's grain-finished. Or can you tell us a little bit about you know, truly understanding what is sustainable about what you're doing as opposed to some other lesser method. I love all those labels. <laughs> I used to I used to believe all those labels too. And I, until we really got into it, I didn't know how they just tend to make everything sound so good. And sometimes it's not. <laughs> right. So I think what a lot of what that stems from is that almost all cattle production systems, at least beef cattle, the cows spend most of their life on grass. And it's really when we take the offspring from those cows and move them into a feedlot for the last few months of their life that they are no longer grass-fed. So a lot of people kind of take that and say, well, all cattle are grass-fed at least a part of their life. And really, you have to distinguish between the grass-fed that way, and then the grass-fed and grass-finished, which is what we do. Um, so our all of our cattle are on grass pasture for their entire life. Yeah, you can also say that it's grass, 100% grass-fed and have them fed hay in a feedlot. Now, I don't know if that's always, that's not always the case. I'm sure some of it is truly labeled, but I think some of it, it is done that way. So that's a different environment for the animals and for their health. Yeah, how, how they're going to turn out um, compared to having them out on the pasture all the time. Can you maybe speak to the issue that cattle are healthier when they're eating 
grass as opposed to eating grain? Yeah, so uh, cattle are ruminant animals, and what that means is they have a multi-part stomach, and it's really they evolved to survive solely on grass. That's the way um, their stomach works. It's really good at breaking down those cell walls and extracting the nutrients that are in the grass, um, and it's really the way they should be raised. And then when you introduce grain into their system, it's a lot more easy for that type of food source to be digested, so that kind of alters the pH in their stomach and and there's a lot of issues that can go along with that too, health issues in the cattle. And so um, since they evolved that way, they evolved to eat grass, it's really best to give them that kind of a diet. In those confinement systems where they're grouped up and they're not moving, they're producing a lot of uh, manure. And that's where a lot of the sickness comes from is just them kind of living in their own manure. Whereas in our type of system, we move them off of that every day. And so, and then because there's a lot of soil life, that soil life can help incorporate the manure that they are leaving behind back into the soil. And so it's not an, a health issue there either. But I mean, they do get a lot of um, extra secondary um, things out of the forage that does a lot for their health as well. So, so what are some things that um, people can do to help support farms and ranches like yours? Everybody has their developed habits, and sometimes it's just easiest to go to the grocery store, just buy what you need there, and not really think about it, because it does take work to find um, small places like us. Like, our farm stores only open on Saturdays, and so to make the trip out to see us on a Saturday... Um, some of our customers, they're just too busy. So we get a delivery from us. Um, that makes it easy. But yeah, like just having to change the habits, I think is, um, is difficult. But starting with just one thing, um, it tends to snowball. Like if you start supporting one small place, I started buying local honey. And now I just ordered a a crate of olive oil. And, you know, it just kind of, you start trying to look for ways to stock up on stuff that locally produced and so just get, just get started <laughs> with one small thing. <laughs> I understand that you have a large family. Do you have any tips for getting children to enjoy participating in gardening and farming? I think a, a big thing is your kids really just want to spend time with you. So um, just, you know, being involved with them and and working alongside of them and having them work alongside of you just so that they can spend time with you and and be with their parents and enjoy things that way i, I think that makes it a lot more enjoyable for them and it's kind of easy sometimes for us to to give the kids a chore and just expect them to go out and do it by themselves and i think that's a lot less fun for them can you um, tell us about anything new um, or what's kind of coming up with your farm and your farm store? We're just really good at raising the animals and um, there's a need for that here. So that's what we've been focusing on. So we've got we've got beef, we have pork, we have chickens, um, turkeys for Thanksgiving and lamb and egg. So do you have any CSA allotments available right now or are you... Um, we could add more people, um, I'm thinking probably July. And did you want to share anything else with our listeners about your farm or upcoming events? If you want to get onto our uh, email list, there's a little box you can sign up on blusterybovine.com. We do have a store too that we run out of our garage. So, um, and that's open on Saturdays from nine to one. 
And so you can come out and we do give kind of impromptu tours during that, if you would like as well, for the people that come out to purchase meat. So thanks again to Luke and Shannon for that informative interview. Now to follow up on our looking for sustainable options to replace toxic products in our homes and gardens. Last month, we discussed how we were trying some alternatives to toxic herbicides, aka weed killers, that we so often find in our local home improvement stores. We tried a Howard Garrett Dirt Doctor recipe that calls for 10% horticultural grain-based vinegar. We used 20% vinegar cut in half with water. We used one teaspoon liquid soap and six teaspoons delimonene or orange oil. We used delimonene. We did learn a few things in the process. First of all, this product does work. However, it doesn't work if you use it in the heat of the day over hot gravel areas that dry it up before it has time to work. We also found out that you have to get a special sprayer that is built for this kind of stronger vinegar or it will damage the seals and then it will leak. We also learned that one of the popular American brands that uses glyphosate here offers a vinegar-based product with their same name that they sell in Austria. I think that's quite interesting. They wouldn't likely be selling it if they didn't find it to be effective as well. I think if we were to switch to this non-toxic product, then we would probably be much safer using this product around ourselves, our family, our pets, and our neighbors. After all, I don't think the only objective in the game is to race for the cure. I think it would be good to race for better alternatives to the causes. Thank you for listening to Northern Nevada Green Living Podcast. Please take good care of you and yours. Stay well and help us all make this a kinder, healthier, and greener community for all. 